Hello, everyone, and welcome to another weekly episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And after a brief break to explore some more of Alex E. Harrow's work, we're coming straight back for episode 168 to the seventh book in the Rune Lord series by David Farland with The Wormling Horde. This, uh, this series is really starting to ramp up, and I cannot wait to get to this next segment. Drew... Would you tell us just what the heck is going on? Alrighty. The Wormling Horde, book seven of the Rune Lords, and third volume in the Scions of the Earth sequence, sees the forces of Lord Despair ascendant. Care Luciare is destroyed, and the survivors flee to the Netherworld under the care of Dalen Hammer, the Emir Tul Ra, and the Wizard Sissel. In Rugasa, the Wormling's massive prison fortress, the torturer Kolosax is confronted by a girl named Carissa whose memories of Inkara cause him to forsake his oaths and flee with her into the wider world. Though he dies protecting her from pursuing wormlings, she is rescued by the Horse Sisters of Fleeds. And speaking of Fleeds, that's where Rihanna ends up after a failed parlay with the warlords of Internook. The sisters take her in and offer endowments to her, and Rihanna gladly takes them up. With 80 endowments to her name, she flies off and destroys the wormlings' convoy of blood metal, taking the forcibles into her own care and wondering at the legacy of Raja Ten that hangs over her actions. That was nice and succinct. I like that. All right, jumping into style. We're still dark as fuck. Sorry for the immediate F-bomb on the on episode 168 <laughs> of Inking Out Loud, but chapter one with the like chapter one with the description of the human prisoners, the family. And I have yeah. it here. As much as I didn't want to quote it, I feel like it's necessary. A child of four, a girl in a humble sack-like dress with golden hair whose face was a mask of purple bruises. Next to her lay a boy of twelve, some farm boy with two broken arms twisted and tied, tied behind his back. Beyond was a woman who was obviously his mother for they both had the same dark hair. She lay as if lifeless, though her chest rose and fell. Her bloody skirts suggested that the wormlings had put her through unspeakable torments. It's it's with every single sentence of that paragraph, it just got darker and darker and darker. And every time you thought that was it with the father, that was it. Oh my God, the bones protruding through his leg. Nope, there's a small boy of two who's just apparently seen it all. And that's like the worst. I'm just, oh my God. Again, right out of the gate. Wolverton's bringing us and straight then, in on this. And then uh, Falian is given endowments of compassion from all of compassion, them. So, yep. so yeah, yeah, he's tortured by, by all of their torments. <laughs> oh, God and, damn. Whew. But, it's not lightening up yet. So no. I, uh, oh, actually, no, we got to talk style before I go on that train of thought. Go ahead. Um, I was bringing the grim dark up as style, but uh, riff on yeah, that. Yeah, well, I was about to talk about uh, some character things. Ooh, um, okay. Okay, but gotcha. yeah, so uh, on style, um, again, fast, 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 fast. We're halfway through this book, 160 pages. You know, this is quick. Although yeah. one thing that I, I have noticed that's a bit different is the chapters are much longer in this book. Um, oh, you know, it was something that yeah, stood out to me, uh, you know, when I was looking at where we were going to chop the book in half to do episodes. And I was surprised that halfway through the book is 11 chapters. I'm used to saying, oh, we're going to end at chapter 25 or chapter 27 yeah. or something like that. Yep. Yep. And, and it's like, it's not like this book is much shorter than 
Worldbinder or Sons of the Oak or Lair of Bones or whatever, but the chapters are just significantly longer. I mean, you go back to some of the early Rune Lords books and you have chapters that are like two paragraphs, you know, you have like 60 <laughs> chapters in a book and some of them are a page long, two pages long. Uh-huh. That is definitely not the case here. <laughs> No, and you're right to bring that up because I noticed that too with my going through the audiobook, of course. I had, uh, and this is something I brought up a couple weeks ago saying that, hey, I kind of, you know, I'm already this far through the Wormling Horde as well. That's because I was listening to it and I'm just considering chapter lengths as, as I'm normally used to them being up to this point. And it wasn't even until I got to like chapter 12 or 13 in this book. So, sorry, everybody. I kind of went past the halfway point since we ended at after 11. Um, I, I, it was that long before, like, I think it was chapter 12 before I even thought to check, oh yeah, where am I at in the book? Where's the halfway point? Oh, I'm already past where I'm supposed to be. I didn't even realize I had been doing that. Like when I had stopped to check, I was already past it. So right. like, this is absolutely flying by and these chapters are, are uh, they're, they're definitely larger than I'm used to, but it, it's still, it's a, it's a hell of a, an experience. I actually think I prefer it this way. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you, do you think the pacing has been affected by the increased chapter length? Do you, do you feel it slows down or is that something you don't even notice because you're on audio? I don't think I have noticed it. I don't, I don't think audio is the primary reason. I, I just tear through these books in large chunks. <laughs> Usually it's still, you know, a day, two at tops. So it's about the okay. same amount of time anyway. Um, but um, I'm okay. definitely noticing the longer chapters though, because we'll get back to a new character and then I'll go, oh yeah, a lot more than I'm used to being. I mean, Previously, it's just been back and forth. I'm still kind of working through everything all at once. I'm I'm losing myself in these chapters since I'm spending more and more time with each consecutive character. Nice, that's so, good. There is that. All right, yeah, that's that's good to hear. I, I for myself, I have felt the pace a little bit slowed because of the chapters. Chapter uh, ten, the chapter did it for length. Me. But mm. but yeah, in general, you know, I am I'm still enjoying the book, and, yeah. and I have to say. Um, so I've only read this book once before. I think I've mentioned that. Uh, I remember almost nothing about this book. There are two scenes for sure that I remember, and a third one that I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm remembering correctly, if I'm conflating some things or or what. But all three of them are from the end of the book. So going into the beginning of this, I was like, I have like no idea <laughs> what I'm going to be reading. I did not remember getting points of view from Cullisax and Carissa. You know, I didn't remember uh, them like going into uh, the netherworld the way they did Mm. here. I didn't remember like the bees or, or them like taking shelter under the trees. Uh, I did not remember Rihanna going to Fleeds. I definitely didn't remember her going to the courts of tide at the beginning. So it's, but the, the biggest thing that I did remember was a, an overall lack lack of satisfaction with the book uh, from where it ended the first time I read it. Okay. And this was the book that I was most interested in rereading now because I'm such a different reader and the things I'm looking for are completely different, you know? And I'm wondering, because I greatly enjoyed the first half of this book. I actually think the first half of this has been stronger than the first half of Sons of the Oak or Worldbinder, for my in my opinion, and so I'm based on the the couple of things I remember from the end of the book. I'm very curious to see if I walk away with a better opinion of this book 
now. Because originally, this was my least favorite in the series, and I never even read the eighth book because I was so disappointed. Interesting. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, have, I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm going to like the end of this a lot more now. Hmm. Yeah. Well, since we're still on style, I want to talk about the, the various ways in which Farland is still impressing me with his forethought and, and just his application of magic in his world. Like there were passages that blew me away for their sheer lyricism, which we'll get to later. But even in, in terms of the logic and the structuring with the magic, it continues to blow me away. Um, when Rihanna's getting her endowments, and this is like very, very close to where we wrapped up for this week. Yes. Um, we have explained to us the value of splitting off some metabolism for your master craftsmen so that they can perform their work faster, you know, getting endowments of voice and glamour first and priority to attract more endowments. We've explored that before, but now we're seeing the process. And this one really, I love this one, the process by which the women of fleets create horses in the time constraints, you know, allowing for the ways in which horses, horses just are different from people. You know, we need to establish a leader of the herd and that takes its own time. That can't be rushed. The the various types of horses that are greater for specific endowments. I want to know more about these supposed, uh, the Carther mounted ponies. Mountain ponies, pardon me, yeah, from right. whom wit is supposedly taken. That's interesting. You know, these are super smart horses, or at least smarter, you know, than other ones. It's, it's, it's a kind of offhanded and somehow at the same time careful world building that brings this story to life, that makes it easier to invest myself in it. I just, yeah, I love, I'm still loving it whenever I come across it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, on a more technical style level, mm-hmm. one thing that I've, I've been noticing a lot, but I haven't explicitly called out is how much he loves certain verbs. Oh, Oh, okay. You're going to ruin them for do, me. Aren't do you, you have you? an Go ebook? Ahead. Do you have an ebook? Version uh, of this? Not this version on the ebook. No. Oh, darn. Okay. So be like we won't be able to look up for me or something. Yeah. Uh, won't be able to look it up, but he uses the word imagined people imagine a lot. Oh, do they? Uh, and this has been a thing for like throughout the whole series, but it's just, I, I felt it was time to point it out. Um, and people warn other people a lot. There's lots of warning going on. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's just good for drama. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, it, it's sometimes it, it, I don't know. It's like, you didn't need to use the word warned there, Dave. Like, it's okay. like they just explained it. They, they just said that now. It, it didn't need to be a warning. Like every, everything is just filled with such portent. Ah. It's like you don't think, you imagine. You don't explain, you warn. I think you it's know, Dave, like, <laughs> or uh, I think it's Ray Porter's dulcet tones that are just you know smoothing over all of that for me. It always sounds appropriate with that guy's voice. Sure, that guy's sure. brassy baritone. I love it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, but I think it lends a lot of weight toward that kind of mythological voice that we talked about on the last book. I'd say it could be a bad thing. He has this combination of like a really casual um, narrative voice and then brings in elevated language like that to give his story weight. Um, Mm. And and I think I compared it a little bit to the Silmarillion. Obviously, this is... nowhere near the level of, you know, involved prose as Tolkien uses in the Silmarillion or used in the Silmarillion, but it, it imparts a similar kind of historical mythological weight to the narrative. Mm. Yes. My, my only other style point 
actually I saved for uh, my, my character discussion on Yaline and on Lord Despair. So I'm done with my style points. I imagine you have one or two more. Uh, no, actually, I'm really? ready to go into characters. We're making that good time already. And, and and speaking of making good time, we don't have to talk about Falion, our main character, because, I mean... Uh, I, I want to talk about Falion. Oh, I mean, okay. Yeah. Throw so it at me, then. Let's obviously, see what there's you not a whole lot with him in, in this book, but it's something that I've talked about with him in past books, and it, it, this is a thematic thing that is getting expanded past Falion now. I, I talked about how much I appreciate Falion being a more complicated, problematic protagonist versus someone like Gaborn, who's just like this paragon of virtue and Sunlight is like the most perfect, yeah. yeah, the most perfect dude who's ever lived. Falion is a flame weaver, right? He's he's been trained, he's been taught to be kind and wise and and an able leader, but he still has violent tendencies and and still has cruelty within him. You know, like we saw at the beginning of Worldbinder where he burns the one warlord alive in front of his troops and specifically, like, leaves his eyes untouched by the fire so his soldiers can see the fear and pain. It's like, wow, Falion. You know, this is our hero here. And and now, while Falion is in, in the role of a damsel in distress... Other heroes are stepping up to the plate. But again, we're seeing those heroes become complicated. The Emir is like, he's supposed to be that paragon of virtue, just like uh, mm, you know Gaborn was, yeah. where we have an entire chapter of Dale and Hammer trying to convince everybody that the sun does shine out of the Emir's ass. But, <laughs> but it's complicated because the Emir is a shadow, a warped mirror of Raja Ten. And there is this potential... And even Dalen Hammer has to admit that, like, we're desperate. We have to take the chance. But Dalen Hammer spends so much time explaining how he, how Raj Otten was led to that point by having yes. involvement mm-hmm. with the worm and saying, well, who knows? He could have been perfect without it, right? Yeah. Uh, and know. so, but but we, we have something that's a little more complicated. And then we get to Rihanna. And oh, this boy. is why Rihanna is my favorite character in... Oh. The Scions of the Earth. She gets scary in Chapter 11. There are two, two moments in Chapter 11 that I am just so, so happy about uh, in terms of what it means for her character and what it means for character conflict. Oh, I'm just going to read a yeah, couple of quotes here. Red flags. Oh. Glamour. Raja Ten had been rich with it, so rich that women who should have hated him were filled with lust and would spread their legs for him. Men who saw him imagined that there could be no maliciousness in him. When you see the face of pure evil, an old saying went, it will be beautiful. Rihanna wanted to be beautiful, as fair as a summer morn, as powerful as a tempest. She had heard of Raja Ten's wife, Safira, with hundreds of endowments of glamour. No man could resist her. To look upon her made men weak with desire. Falion will love me, Rihanna thought. I can make him love me more than he could ever imagine. And as quickly as the thought came, she repented of it, trying to force the selfish desire away. Glamour, she confirmed. 
so much is going on in those yep, brief you, sentences. That's my only point about Rihanna. We're on my character point about Rihanna, but yeah, Ooh. that was a giant crimson flag. Uh, yeah, and, and the also fact a ray that of hope, kind we, of. We get that you know as quickly as the thought came, she repented of it, trying to force yeah. the selfish desire away, and then she says glamour anyway. Well, yeah, because glamour, I think, is just like it had to be first for her, and then she goes on efficiency. and goes through the attack. Uh, and with a rush of insight, Rihanna realized that she would not need allies for this raid. I am an army, she thought. And she makes off with a thousand forcibles. It, as a trophy of war, she carried a chest with a thousand forcibles back to the to the horse clans. She I'll had she did that with 80 endowments. She specifically started this whole process off using Raja Ten's model of making herself beautiful. And now she has a thousand more endowments to snowball, to turn this into an avalanche. Oh, it's and, implied that she's going to find an immediate use for these thousand, is it? Well, yeah. They're, oh. the, the whole the whole part, just the she whole first half of this book is how everybody's in like an arms race to get endowments as quickly as possible. The blood metal, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Corpus kite, as uh, it's called. Like, I love this that is why so Riata is, is my favorite character. Like, she is... She's a she's terrifying a bomb. <laughs> and awesome. She's, she's like a, she's yeah the, the classical definition of awesome. Like or or she's, maybe yeah. maybe even now awful. we can make that argument very well. <laughs> she's the classical oh definition of awful. Like it's it, mm, there's, there's just so much so much potential in in her coming internal conflict and external conflicts that may arise when people start hearing like oh. A new female Raja Ted has uh, arisen, where there's all this concern about, uh, you know, the Emir, and this is a deliberate thing. Um, yeah, that he put these two chapters back to back. That we first have a chapter reminding us of how terrible Raja Ten was, how it happened that he came to be, and then we go straight from there to Rihanna making a conscious decision to use the same tactics Raja Ten did in order to gain endowments. In order to take agency away from the people who have to choose to give her endowments. Oh boy. Yeah, and, and I love that we're on the Emir at the moment as well. Um, is there anything else about Rihanna? Should we spring uh, a straight more, into A little Emir? more. Okay, okay, because I'm ready to go to Emir. So Again, with Rihanna. The, a big part of the conversation with the, the Emir and and I think we can very easily move from Rihanna to the Amir because it's perfect. Yeah. They're paralleled so much. We get a full explanation of Scathane here. <laughs> Do we ever? And and there's so much emphasis placed on the fact that like Rajaten went bad because he had a locus in him. Rihanna has already been the host of Asgaroth. We know Rihanna is vulnerable. To being, to, to hosting a locus. Hmm. Like, these two chapters are so, like, when, when you start Brought. looking at how he's interweaving and using character foils to set up uh, potential conflicts, like, this is some of the, the most clever and deft Man. plotting 
that Wolverton has done in the entire Rune Lords so far. Uh, I ended Rihanna with that bit of hope myself, with her squashing that thought and thinking glamour first because you have just explained how it's also more efficient. But now you're starting to make me a little more concerned than I was five minutes ago. <laughs> Although I I'm also more concerned. excited for the second half of the book for it. So there is that, and I, and I appreciate yeah, that, like, but oh no. When you go back to the internal conflicts that Gaborn and Iome have in the first series, where they get into the morality of endowments, where yeah. like, can it even be acceptable to take an endowment from somebody, whether or not they freely give it up? And now here we have, you know, it's like, it's already complicated just being a good person and being a rune lord. And now we have Rihanna actively working to make it easier to subvert people's agency you know she she's saying like i want to trick people into giving me endowments essentially and it's it's the motivation in the moment that's really concerning because this is like a world saving thing but this is a very vain thing that Mm -hmm. she was just considering i want to be beautiful i want to be as beautiful as the morn and as terrible as the tempest or whatever she said yeah Real, uh, real Galadriel vibes from oh. the uh, the Fellowship of the Ring when she <laughs> okay. considers yeah, what like it would be it. like if she got the ring. I can just see the colors all negative right yeah. there, right now. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, the yeah. Amir. I'm scared. The Amir. Oh my god. Um, see, I was really feeling warm and hopeful about this guy this whole time, but at the same time, I am worrying about having that reaction, and I don't know really how to put it. But I'm asking myself: Could it just be that the guy feels too wholesome? I really love the direction he seems to be going and that the total flip on the tyrant that we knew as Rajat. And I was almost teary eyed myself with his defense of Aerith slash Gaborn in uh, chapter three. It was really uh-huh. the beginning. I think, you know, perhaps he's just a memory. Perhaps you're right. Maybe he's been tormented beyond all reason and his mind has gone to waste. He might now be nothing more than a maddened animal craving his own death, but I hope for something better. There was a firmness in Aerith's soul or stone that put iron to shame. You know, moments like these are like so heartwarming and expanding. I feel my heart like the Grinch just getting three sizes too large. But at other times, it it does feel too heavy. There's a moment where the Emir stops to help the boy who's lost his family. And he offers to be his big brother or whatever in the meantime until he, he can, they can find his family. <laughs> he makes sure the boy is safe and fed and directed. And it just that kind of felt like a, a slightly just a bit forced, like a fabricated moment where a politician stops to hold up and kiss a baby. You know, just yeah. the sheer overpowering wholesomeness started raising some <laughs> red flags on my end. And maybe it's just more to do with me as a generally suspicious dude in a reader in a story so that's I been think dark. This is, I don't know. Uh, I think this is a deliberate thing. And this goes back to that idea of Farland wanting to make these stories feel mythological. Like the characters are larger than life. And so it's a larger than life thing. It's a superhero thing. A fantastical to do. thing. You know, yeah, it's okay. the kind of thing you would expect like Spider-Man to do or Superman to do. Like, you know, you're, you're reading your Marvel comics or whatever. And, and you have literal superheroes, people with mm. magical greater than human powers stopping to take time to help, you know, like the, the, injured person on the street or the old woman carrying her groceries or whatever. Like that's the, that's the sort of thing you get in those archetypes of characters. 
And so yes. I think it makes sense that he he has the Amir do that leading up to a chapter that's going to be all about challenging his character. True. Yeah. I mean, I'm st- I still left it super hopeful with the side of please don't be evil. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. I'm thinking oh, definitely. About the I think, I think but, you're supposed yeah. to believe in the Amir. Yeah. Uh, I'm just suspicious that it's just, it's too easy to believe in them at this point. I just feel like I'm being led too deliberately. I'm sus, <laughs> but hmm. not really. I'm most, I'm like 99% hopeful. 1% sus. I mean, I'd be a lot more worried about uh, Aerith and Rihanna and Falion. But, this, would but with Aerith, we got the, the influence of the Earth Spirit that's starting to do some interesting things. Uh, Going to channel it? some, uh, some Meeseeks here? Ooh, yeah. it's trying. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, don't make me think of that show right now. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh. Arth, or at least I'm yeah, still more characters, with, more characters. Sorry, sorry. Or, or the one Amir. last thing yeah. about the Amir, actually, um, in chapter ten, I think it was chapter ten because it was right before the end. We did ended on chapter eleven. Yeah, well, that was with Rihanna. This whole Dalen Hammer has a, a dozen arguments ready to support the Amir. That the entire scene felt like it could have been perhaps one third to maybe half of the length. This might go back to your style point about increasing chapter length. This might have mm-hmm. been a symptom of that. It. Th- it kind of felt like it was going down a checklist this chapter did of every single doubt we can have about the Emir and every possible counter argument that Dalen has been able to come up with in the meantime. Like I wouldn't have wanted the chapter to feel rushed, but it felt exhaustive in having to check every box. I figured like half of the length would have, I, I think I would have enjoyed it a bit more. That was the only chapter that felt long to me. Yeah. Really it's uh, like, it's a weird thing. Um, I think Farland tends to lean into the telling side of things a little more often than he probably should or needs to. Um, mm-hmm. And this is an example of it. Like you could make an argument. Was like, Oh, well it's, it's showing because it's in dialogue, but it's not because it's literally a character just telling you this is a good dude. Um, and, and having it, an argument and for because it's yeah. being presented in that way. I think it comes off as repetitious, especially when, We've already been shown in proper showing style that the Amir is a good man. Like you, you just brought it up. We just had scenes of him sacrificing his body to help people and, and stopping to care for the downtrodden. You're like, you don't need to give us three pages of Dale and Hammer telling us that the Amir can do this when you could have just had the Amir say, look at this boy that he just stopped and saved and has taken under his wing. See how generous and kind he is. Instead of, you know, getting up behind a pulpit and like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's like, he he gets a little redundant in in his storytelling yeah. while he's doing that. And it it makes the pace kind of drag yeah. a little bit. I do, I do recall having the impression halfway through the chapter thinking, oh, okay, so these have been some good arguments. We're about to reach a decision, aren't we? Oh, no, okay, that's mm-hmm. another argument. And, oh, that's a good idea. Okay, there's another argument. Okay, are we are we ending this at some... Oh, no, there's another argument. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, this could have been over by now. This was a, this was sufficiently explored, and we can make an informed decision at this point. We don't... Oh, we're still going. Like, it was a rather long chapter, that one. So, yeah. But, um, yes, I am done with the Amir for now as awesome. well. 
Um, I only have one tiny point about Talon. I feel like I should have written more about Talon, um, but my my single issue here was that I was just a little skeeved at this whole scene oh, in chapter three. Yeah, where she yeah. basically talks herself into having an attraction for the Emir. Yeah, he's Emir, like Emir. twice her age. Yeah, it's just and just she goes through again like this. She just she starts off slightly curious, and she just talks herself into this attraction over the course of just a few pages. And I'm just like, what? That was and a little... he hits on her too, which is also like, meh, meh. like it's it's not presented as Talon? an she's icky 18, thing. Nine, she's eighteen. She again? She specifically still, says she's eighteen. He's like and that she's like of marrying age, and then she describes him as having like a sort of timeless look where he could be anywhere from 30 to 45 but she notes that he has a daughter who's older than she is this is kind of again though kind of fantastical i mean there's that yeah. it kind of fits in with like fantasy it, it, that's what i was gonna perhaps, say it's like it's perhaps. not i don't think wolverton is trying to present this as a problematic thing no yeah yeah that's a good but, way to put it. but it is a little difficult to read past that and be like wow with, that is a not only a massive age discrepancy but a massive power dynamic imbalance yeah. like like this dude is one of the most respected and powerful men in the world and talon is a literal nobody <sighs> like and then they also make the yeah. argument maybe that's what he needs yeah I, yeah there's there's some to both sides but yeah i don't see it as problematic myself either. yeah um uh but yeah with talon uh, I, like you said, it, it feels like there should be more with her. Like I, I thought there was going to be something more developed with her and Alan, and then there really wasn't. Like okay. uh, it, that's a, a situation where I feel like Farland could have given himself more room to because, like, this is a short freaking book. This is like three hundred nineteen pages in in hardcover, and it it feels to me like he could have spent more time developing some of these interpersonal conflicts. Like you had Ellen as a point of view character in the previous book. Mm -hmm. And here you had a chance to explore more about him and give him maybe more point of view room. But the book is so short that there isn't space for it. And it just kind of gets left by the wayside as you move on to more important things. And then it makes you wonder as a reader, like, well, why did we even begin exploring the idea of, like, him going and talking to Siata at Talon's behest? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, why why did that need to be there if we're not going to explore that in depth? Um, I don't know. Uh, But so, like, Talon, to me, felt more just like a vehicle for... Or a, yeah, vehicle uh, or a window giving just us, to see, giving us yeah. an in, uh, a lens to see to watch Dalen Hammer do his stuff without giving us a Dalen Hammer point of view because now we're getting into Netherworld things where like mm. he <laughs> has are. to hide this. He can't give us a, a Dalen Hammer point of view here because it will reveal all the secrets, you know. Uh, and and so like Talon doesn't really have agency or a a big conflict until the very end of chapter 10, when she's like, I'm going to take matters into my own hands to help, you know, the, the rescue team. And I'm going to challenge the Emir to a duel. Yeah. I'm excited to see where that goes too. It was hard I, to I have no idea where that goes. That's one of the things like, I don't remember at all. Oh. <laughs> like, so I, I want to make this very clear. Like, 
everything I'm talking about on this episode, I am not trying to like tease or hint at things. Like I don't remember where this goes. <laughs> cool. Cool. So we should make a predictions or whatever, a little more interesting today. I only have one tiny one, but uh, we're not quite there yet. Um, Talon. Yeah. I'm done with Talon. Um, okay. Colosax. Yeah. Can I want to talk, talk about, about Colosax. Can we talk about this dude? Where the hell did this guy come from? What? Yeah. Like I, I want to compare him to Alan because there's, Okay. Uh, each one of these books now has given us a point of view from somebody from the the new world to sort of immerse us in the in the culture of world building. Colossax is a way better character than Alan. Oh. <laughs> mm. His authenticity, for, like he knows he's not a good guy. He's not trying to be, but his honest fascination with this world that Carissa describes and his inexplicable drive to just explore that as a possibility is just so oddly un- like unsettlingly endearing, you know? Yeah. Like he's, he, he's a deeply unsettling person. He's like mm-hmm. a horrible torturer, but the fact that he is swayed by logic, you know? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Even the... Sorry, go ahead. So this is... um, This is a... A bit of a miscellaneous point, but I have to bring it in here. Um, The... I think... Farland may have gotten a little heavy-handed revealing his his personal, um, like, political and... Uh, like economic leanings because he was definitely making the wormlings sound like evil socialists. Like look at their, (laughs) their promises of like, you know, on the surface, everything they're saying sounds so great socialism. Yay. But in, in reality, it's like, ah, you know, it's actually just fascism and it's evil. And it, it did remind me a bit of uh, uh, some of the, some of the ways that, Terry Goodkind approaches things like this in Sword of Truth. <sighs> but thankfully... Reading up T-Dog. Thankfully, uh, Colossax kind of moved beyond that pretty quickly, and it just became more about, like, his curiosity at the world and uh, and then his eventual care uh, for Carissa. Like, you know, he yeah. he wanted to give her the opportunity to have a a good life you know and he sacrificed himself to that end i know like even his even these these situational beats like his like reaction speaking of beats his reaction to the beats you know that was just so good i have the quote here so they squatted in a darkened stable and colossax bit into his first beat and laughed look he said it bleeds i've gutted fat soldiers that bled less you know like on one hand aw on the other hand ugh. He's just, he's so childlike and so serial killer at the same, in equal amounts. And it's brilliant, you know. Chris is just explaining how, well, what they were, what they were, tubers, and how she likes to cook them. But he's just so delighted by his discovery that he's got to show her. And all he has to compare it to is soldiers that he's bled. It's so fucked up, but it's yeah, so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I want, I want to, I want more of this guy is all I'm thinking in this moment. And then, of course... Grinning in satisfaction, Colossax faded toward unconsciousness. Run, Carissa, he thought. Perhaps when all the worlds are bound as one, we will meet again. Yeah. I, want, I don't want to believe he was really taken up that this early. I wanted to see him explored more. 
kind of wanted to see his reaction to the world that he died thinking about. Like, what the heck, Farland? It's just Sorry. hard to argue against that ending. Like, how, how perfect a, was that? The, why know? did it have to happen so soon? Maybe at the <laughs> end of the book thing. What just happened? Uh, bruh. Yeah. That's, a, that's a bruh moment. You just put the book down and look at the ceiling. Oh. Oh. Ah, that's my that's a bit about Colosax right there. I thought it was spelled by the way, since I'm listening to it on the audiobook, I'm just trying to spell it phonetically. I thought it was like K-O-L-O-S-A-K-S. Nope. It's it is not even close to that. Yeah. C-U-L-L-O-S-A-X. Mm, yup. So anyway. My only other character remaining is Lord Despair herself. Yaleen. Slash slash Eris Aerith himself. Yeah. I this is actually one I really wanted to talk about, though. I love these glimpses of origin that we're getting for Yelene. Yeah, Far- he's Farland's not letting me down in any way in his exploration <laughs> of his primary inter- antagonist as a character. Um, even in, like in chapter one, is gorgeous with with her prank and the shattering of the world. Kind of an info dump, but it's so beautifully written that I just I loved every sentence of it. Um, this imagery of them crying and then tracing you know wiping their tears and tracing the rune of compassion yep. on her cheek you know just this whole what this does for yelling in terms of their mo- and her motives like her, the hurt the feeling of betrayal and have everyone push their own pain back onto her for what she did some of the greatest origins for Oof. like a villain that i've ever read it's just i love it i love mm-hmm. it and i love that the earth spirit is bringing its own dimension now and complications to her plans it's just whoa so good so good and so much potential it could nah, i love it oh yeah oh yeah mm. anything uh, about lord despair yeah so i i in particular really liked the chapter uh where he got experimental with the point of view where it's it's one point of view but it's Aerith and lord despair kind of warring over the body in the dream and and how he changes his you know action tags depending on who's kind of in control at the moment and i i again i did not remember that being a thing and i'm excited to see how that develops going forward huh uh, i don't recall it at the cuz it, it you're kind of given the impression at the end of worldbinder that's like oh no you know Aerith is completely gone now he's just controlled by uh, Yelene, because every time or, or almost every time we've seen a locus in action, it the locus has completely taken over the host, right? We see it with Asgaroth, we see it with uh, Shadowath, you know, we see it with Scathane, apparently. Um, and but then here, suddenly there's like real conflict, yeah, and, well, the and there are now layers of conflict where it's like. Yelene has the earth powers, but doesn't really know how to use them or how to interpret them and is stuck with this, like, this sense of foreboding, this imminent threat that she doesn't know how to handle. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And where the hell is Avaran? What? <laughs> we, we were supposed to be going to see Avaran after Sons of the Oak. And then we then Worldbinder came and then went and now this one came and is going and we I was so excited to see her again because she's really important to the Earth as well. I'm really excited to see her again too, especially because yeah. we got rumors of a Reaver Horde surfacing mm-hmm. and Avarin is the Earth Mage charged with dealing with the Reavers. Oh, that's a good point. 
Oh, that's a really good point. Ooh. Man, you you have to like you have to stop hyping up this next half of the book for me, man. I'm getting too excited. <laughs> I'm only like one or two chapters into it as it is. Um, I am done with my character points. I've just got some miscellaneous. How about yourself? Um, sorry, uh, the cat was sleeping behind me on my chair and and just got up. Uh, <laughs> uh let's see, other characters. Um. I don't really have much to say about the Maddock kids, other than they suck. Oh, they do suck hard, pretty hard. Um, and it sucks to suck, obviously. God, I just want to talk about suck. Rihanna more. Like, <laughs> I feel like we're gonna have so much more to talk about in the next oh, book, oh, in the next half. Yeah, after yeah, yeah. we've had, we the, definitely like, will more than we've had in the first for sure. I can't um, get my words straight. Like I, like that one chapter. Chapter 11, titled Beauty, might be my favorite chapter in all of the Rude Lords. Yeah. Like, oh, I can see it. So good. <laughs> so good. Particularly the, like, uh, Torch Bearer, I think it is, at the end of Sons of the Oak. That yeah, was, yeah. That was, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Miss. Yeah, let's do it. I learned three new words Ooh. this week. Okay. Numinous to begin I with. I wondered we if had, you were going to point out numinous. Yeah. Yeah. And we had it in chapter three. There was a numinous opalescent haze. And numinous means having a strong religious or spiritual quality, indicating or suggesting the presence of divinity. Ooh. Yep. Very nice. And just by the way, uh, as an observation, numinous opalescent haze. Brilliant. I just love those three words that go together like garlic and onions and oil. It's just very, very nice. <laughs> Gorse. I had no, I didn't know what the hell gorse was. It's oh. a yellow flowered shrub of the pea family. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't knew that. And finally, tourmaline. And I could probably guess at this one. I did guess at this one since it was listed with other gemstones. Um, that's T O U R M A L I N E. I just I hadn't heard that one before. Tourmaline. I looked it up. It's really pretty. But... So I actually knew that one, and I've known that it, one yeah. since I was very young, because the most random thing in the world. Oh. You know, we had these like plastic placemats, like as kids. Okay. Okay. And one of our placemats was like all the monthly birthstones. Ah, gotcha. And tourmaline was on there. October, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I saw that associated with October, which is my birth month, but, uh, and I guess Inking Out Loud's birth month. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those are my, those are my new words. I like all of them. Even though gorse sounds like it would be a dirty word, it's not. It really isn't. Yeah, it's just like a like a hardy shrub. Yeah. Yeah. Yourself, miscellaneous? I have one prediction. Or actually, two. Well, the first one's about Avran, but uh, miscellaneous at all? Uh, so, I, going back to the, you know, is does one not have the right to protect oneself from society? Like, you know, that whole thing. Did you? Yeah. Like, what did, did that stand out to you? Like, did that bother you at all? It bothered me not because it, it didn't bother me with what it contained. It bothered me that I didn't have time at the moment to go back and absorb it again because I was like, is this as stark as I'm thinking it sounds like? <laughs> um, but it was more of like, I have to continue with this book so I can get the, get the notes down. I kind of regret not going back and like observing it more closely because it does deserve it. I think you're raising a very good point and it's, it's worth discussion because I can see some people being very turned off or at least removed from the narrative. If you're really, really deep and invested, especially in these longer chapters. And I would always, I would think I would argue that it's never really a good thing to bring your reader out of the book. Yeah. So yeah. it's a fine line to walk. 
and I don't know. I, I would have to, to really to really give an informed opinion. I'd have to read it again, honestly, and not on audiobook, but uh, over See, text. My biggest issue with this is that again, it feels like something that either should have been omitted entirely or needed to get explored more. But it's like we had this argument for you know a little bit of chapter two, and then it's just like not touched on again, and it it seems just kind of. I don't know, tactless to bring this, something in like that and then and then just leave it hanging as as a, a sort of absolute statement. Yeah. And never like, challenge it at all. Like I, I don't know. Like I'm It feels like something that I feel like uh Brandon Sanderson would have explored in a, in like a, a little more, for example. Like yeah, he probably. would typically have this character then go and do a long monotonous backbreaking task while the sun moves across the sky and they or, contemplate both sides or, of the argument or something you know? like in Yaline's points of view we start hearing rumblings of like rebellion or or mm. dissatisfaction among the wormlings as you know more and more people are awakening to their memories of different lives and realizing oh there's another way to live like there could there could be another conflict building out of this yeah, but instead, it's like one person brings up these points and changes <laughs> one other person's mind, and then they run off and leave everything else behind. You know, I think that would have just made for a much more compelling uh, conflict, <clears throat> especially since he's already giving the, you know, giving time <laughs> to points of view from Yali. Like you have the opportunity to explore this conflict, and he, it just mm. seems like he's not interested in doing that. He wanted to make one really... statement and then move on. He's not pressed for page space. Yeah, he definitely could have yeah, right. explored them a little more. This, this but you know. definitely could be longer. Yeah, this is not a I, this is not a situation where you know a rhythm of war or Oathbringer where it's like okay, this is a four hundred and fifty thousand word book. We cannot add anything else. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, coming you know so fresh out of the first half of my first read and having it done so quickly, I'm just expecting a lot of this to be wrapped up perhaps in the second half of the book. So I'm not really, hmm, I don't know. Making making judgments yet, yeah. But okay. um, so I have a prediction, just a. It's not really a prediction; it's just a question because I'm I'm waiting for something else, another shoe to drop, and I'm hearing nothing yet. Okay. We've we've got plenty of bright ones on stage by now. We've got Falian's memories of his life as a bright one for context. Yaline and her whole ordeal. But correct me if I'm wrong. In the first half of the Rune Lord series, we had Darkling glories, didn't we? Yes. Like, we're missing their counterparts. Like, are they around? Am I missing them in plain sight? Did something happen when Falian had merged the worlds? But the Netherworld, Netherworld is still separate from these two. Like, what what gifts and where the hell are the Darkling Glories? Uh, so, there are Darkling Glories that, like, ride the storms in the Netherworld. If, if you remember oh. that. Uh, they like, ride the storms. When Erin Connell, that. like, goes through the portal in her dream, and, like, in her dream, the owl, Ale, uh, like protects her from darkling gl glories that are attacking in the storm. And so oh. when they go into the netherworld here, uh, Dalen hammer like warns that there might be worse things in that storm than just the threat of rain. Okay. You know, cause that was a really cool world building moment. And I was like, I wanted to explore that. We're okay. I'm so glad yeah. I brought this up because you, you were able to give me the exact yeah. answer. I so wanted. Like, okay, there so are... we had had this. I see the bright ones as counterparts for darkling glories. And I think it's a little confusing because you have glories and darkling glories. You'd think they would be the counters. 
Oh, but I thought really, glories were kind of glories were the counter for loci. Uh, oh. And that's made explicit in Lair of Bones when Gaborn is uh, like going through the underworld and he's getting really deep in there and he's like, they, they've all been separated and he's by himself and he's contemplating what what the loci are and what it means that there are beings of like pure evil that can invade your soul. And he's wondering, he's like, if, if there are these things, could there not also be uh, uh, you know, beings of, of goodness and light. And I'm remembering this now. And there's a line, something speaks in his head. Yes, there are glories. And a glory appears and enters and into the, him. That's right. And it's... Yeah. Okay. That's coming so, back now. That's, that is something I had completely forgotten. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for setting that straight. I'm pretty much talked out of my points for the first half of this book at least out of this quick of a read. Anything else you want to bring up for miscellaneous some predictions before we go into our final draft? Uh, I'm, I'm going to stay away from predictions um, just because I do know a couple of things. Sure. That Wait, I remember from else. the end of the book. Got but, you, got uh, you. I'm interested in your predictions. That, that was my first prediction. I just okay. like, uh, I was like, where are the Darkling Glories? We're going to see them again. They're going to arrive in, okay. in some other form or they're going to be already on screen. We've been missing them. That's actually what I'm really thinking. Um, and my, my only other one I had actually briefly brought up earlier and I had asked where the hell is Avaran? Because I had thought yeah. she was going to be so much more central to at least the last book. And if not, then it was going to be this book. And so far, not a peep. And since you brought up the Reavers, now I'm really, really interested. So I was hoping we'd see some more Avaran too. So that's, that was a kind of another, both of them are kind of half, you know, cheap predictions or cop out predictions, but there they are. Trying to throw something together out of those pieces. Yeah. And I can't yet. So, yeah. Okay. First half of the Wormling Horde. I'm feeling good about it. Feeling yeah, good. it's been pretty dope. It's still, the ser- series is still getting bigger. It's still going faster. It's still making me more excited. I'm not, uh, sort of this little, little <laughs> brief period in chapter 10. I'm still completely invested. Excellent. Excellent. So it's, it's going good. Uh, shall we move on to the final draft then? Yes, if we shall. Yeah. Okay. So, what do, you, what do you got over there? <laughs> I'm just drinking another tea. It is a lady gray tea, and it is fantastic. Although by now, of course, it's not exactly warm anymore. Um, it's a, <laughs> it's not quite too late in the day. We're we're starting a lot earlier than we normally do. We started at five thirty Eastern today, so I've still got a few, a few hours before bedtime. I was able to get some more caffeine in me, and okay. it was good. I, I'm really really loving this lady gray tea. In fact, I'm at the point now where I'm drinking like a liter of it a day, and that's probably not the greatest, but. <clears throat> It is what it is. is it keeps me, yeah, it, it keeps me warm when I'm at work because uh, it's still kind of cold and it's been raining lately, so it's nice. I bring it in a thermos, but yeah, Lady Grey tea would recommend. Top. Alrighty, alrighty. Well, I am still not drinking alcohol. Uh, I've Dope. lost twenty pounds and am in Dope. the best shape I've been in years. So I'm not sweet eager to uh, to throw it out the window. We're both but, on. Good, uh, good. You know, so I'm drinking another Betty Buzz tonic water. However. I uh, I do want to talk about a beer. Uh, unfortunately, Lauren isn't here today because we started earlier than normal. She is uh, still at work, but ah, gotcha. Uh, I, but I can I can still talk about a beer. And this is a beer that I've sure I, I haven't had in a, in a little while. Um, but I, I still had a can sitting in the back of the fridge, and maybe one day I'll, I'll crack it open again. Uh, it's a it's a stout from Evil Czech Brewery in Indiana, and it's like a 
it, it's it's a foreign export stout. Um, if you think of uh, not a regular Guinness, but like the Guinness, uh, the extra strong, um, it's it's not as like smooth and creamy as a regular Guinness that's you know canned on nitro, uh, but instead it's really roasty, um, got kind of like chocolate, uh, chocolate malt, some coffee notes in there. Um, I remember enjoying the beer the last time I had it, but yeah, uh, but this was too perfect to pass up to you know talking about uh, because it is called a terrible beauty. <laughs> very nice, very nice. I see why you're getting so hyped up on Rihanna as well. Yeah, I was nice. I was looking I like through it. the fridge. Yeah, you know, I was like, I gotta I gotta at least talk about a beer for this, and I you know I had a couple of couple of options that were like, you know, tenuous. So I was like, well, I could sort of massage that into being thematically appropriate. Wouldn't, and then I, I found this one in the back and I was like, oh no, this is perfect. So wouldn't, wouldn't Rihanna make a better vessel for Lord Despair for Yaline? That would be pretty darn terrifying, uh, but I, I don't, uh, I don't know if it would because she doesn't have a uh, world shaking earth powers or, yeah. or universe shaping fire powers. In the case of Fallian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, I'm stoked to get into this next half. This has been dope. Episode 168 of the Aging yeah. Out Loud podcast. Yeah. So yeah. next up, we're going to be finishing off the Wormling Horde, doing the second half of the book. Uh, as always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Loud. That support means a great deal to us. It has allowed us to keep the show going 168 episodes later. Uh, three years later, which is Booyah. crazy. Um, you know, that that support on Patreon allows us to, you know, pay for our software, website hosting. It allows us to pay our incredible artist, Danny. Uh, that's Fell Candy. She's... You know, we, we are the highest outs of being yeah. shouted. Yes, uh, 100. Incredibly fortunate to have her working with us. So, uh, yeah, check us out there. We got all kinds of fun perks, but uh, the money goes to... Uh, you know, very good use there. It's not like we're stuffing our pockets or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me, as always, my co-host, Rob Santos. Yo, yo. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye.